Hello there. You're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Today we are speaking with Greg Sebular, Vice President of Sales at the Technology House, a contract manufacturer specializing in additive manufacturing, cast urethane molding, injection molding, and CNC machining. He is also VP of Sales at Sierra Space Machining and Molding, a sister company to TTH that specializes in ISO certifications in aerospace, defense, and medical industries. Greg also began his 3D printing tenure at TTH in 2003. Greg is a graduate of Ohio University with a bachelor's degree in communication and media studies. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here today. Thanks for having me, Catherine. What are the most requested services that the Technology House provides its customers? We're, we're actually a pretty diversified company right now. So uh, we're pretty split up between uh, machining, injection molding, and additive. And I'd say it's almost spread up uh, uh, probably like 30% for each. And then uh, the balance is cast urethane molding. And then additives really split up between the different technologies we have, which are all a little bit different. So we have carbon digital light synthesis, also known as carbon DLS, uh, HP multi-jet fusion, SLA, uh, and uh, FDM. So, uh, and the, the big ones that we've seen as the growth stage is uh, the HP and the, the carbon uh, technologies where uh, a lot of our business over the last five years has, has been moving in that direction. And what is the advantage of having those, all of those technologies in-house? I think the big thing for, for our company is uh, when we're coming across projects, um, we're seeing what the project is and what, what our, uh, the company and the engineers are trying to do with the parts that they're trying to manufacture. And then it helps us kind of guide them to uh, the correct material and or technology uh, just based off their whole project. So not just based off a of material or a process, but really looking at cost, lead time, and all the other factors that go into the equation when you're trying to uh, launch a product or replace a product that's broken on uh, on a part that that needs to get fixed uh, as soon as possible. Well, it sounds like this is uh, an education process too, because you do have everything uh, that you've mentioned in house. I mean, how do you determine the best materials and, and processes to meet customer requirements? Uh, it, it is tough. I, I think working with 3D printing, um, most of the materials and the technologies use similar materials. Uh, sometimes it is the uh, the actual thermoplastic material, but the makeup of it and the way it's processed uh, gives little differences uh, based off if you were going to uh, machine it or injection mold it. So there is a huge education stage uh, really to get the customers um, comfortable with uh, what they're going to get from the technology. And if they're going to get uh, an ABS part printed versus a machined ABS part, how is it going to compare in the long run? So there's lots of time working through samples and testing dog bones and looking at data sheets and, and doing those comparisons. But uh, more often than not, uh, there are uh, just options. And, and that's really what we're trying to provide with a customer is um, Hey, I know you've been machining this block, but it, you know, here's another option if you wanted to cut lead time or perhaps cut cost uh, on your product or make a better de design to your product where you're not uh, constrained to, um, you know, other ways to, to design it based off traditional manufacturing methods. I bet you have a library of use cases. 
<laughs> I wish I could share them all. That's that's the one issue we run into. <laughs> um, before we get too far in the conversation, um, you know, uh, how how did the relationship with sea air space machining and molding start? So uh, the technology all started as a uh, really a service bureau. So doing product uh, design development and 3D printing in the in the mid 90s. Um, but it was started with the idea that additive manufacturing could be, or 3D printing could be the future of how parts are manufactured. Um, but when we started, we were doing so much prototyping and development work that some customers just couldn't see uh, us as being able to be a production partner for the projects. So when we created Sierra Space Machining and Molding, it was a way to kind of connect the dots uh, between product development and uh, your end production part. So Sierra Space is a, a, a separate company, but uh, it's a sister company to the technology house. It's uh, uh, owned with the same family. So the daughters of our owner, Chip Gear, um, run and operate Sierra Space Machining and Molding as a woman-owned small business. And it is also ISO certified. So it has all the certifications, ITAR, NADCAP, things like that, that companies are looking for um, when they're trying to do production parts. But either company can do, um, you know, additive, injection molding, or machining. That's interesting. And you have a, a number of other uh, uh, partners that uh, that uh, you've been working with, and in, including the Carbon Production Center. You, I, I have here that you've been working with them since 2015, and you were, I think, what a beta site for them. And um, what applications are you using with their equipment? So yes, we we partnered with them uh, in 2015. Uh, so we were one of uh, four early adopters on um, uh, to be able to take in their technology at the beta stage. Um, where really they wanted to uh, uh, have companies like us go and, and kind of test out their equipment and, and compare it to um, an injection molded part, a machine part. Uh, so not just comparing it against other 3D printed parts, but actually uh, with the goal of could you do more uh, production 3D printing. Um, so what we've been doing and, and uh, starting with them 2015, really early on, uh, we had a partner of ours uh, that we work with, a customer, uh, Vitamix that uh, kind of took the deep dive and, and took the risk of uh, testing out a, an actual part, designing it differently than using the carbon uh, DLS uh, uh, process to make production parts. Uh, so it's a one piece nozzle that was uh, uh, parts reduction, material reduction. Uh, and ultimately when you look at landed costs, it was uh, a cost reduction across the board um, for them to go and use uh, uh, this technology to create their parts. And it's on demand and you know they're getting one week turnarounds and you don't have crazy minimum orders that you get with injection molding sometimes so um but really that 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 kind of put the technology for us on the map specifically with our customers having uh, a case like that 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 you can show and say hey this is this is what we can do this is the finish and this is what you can get from a, a 3d printed part for production Speaking of Vitamix, I know that um, Magnet, at uh, that's the uh, manufacturing extension partnership up in the uh, northeastern part of, of the state. Um, do you have any connection with them? Yes, actually, uh, we, we work with Magnet a lot, so um, uh, a lot with uh, uh, Ethan and, and Dave Pearson's one that uh, uh, knows a ton about uh, additive, but we, we come across them and, uh, um, you know, 
Northeast Ohio is, is a hotbed for additives. So there's a lot of great organizations at Magnet's a great partner to be able to uh, uh, come across and, and just talk about new technologies, things out there, uh, what's coming um, and, and what's, what's really hitting. And, and let's put a bookmark on that. We'll come back to that topic yeah. in a moment. <laughs> so I wanted to focus on the, um, your project with the, the NASA Johnson Space Center that was the first additive manufactured uh, certified part in space, right? Yeah, so it's uh, it wasn't actually the first parts we had worked on that had gone up onto uh, this uh, space shuttle into space. So we had we had worked with Zen Technologies and NASA Glenn uh, ten plus years ago um, on a uh, it was called the same project, but it was uh, they needed something light uh, to build. So we actually printed it in SLA and 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 got it plated and put it on the International Space Station where it actually tested. Um, how different fibers uh, uh, smoke uh, would come if it caught on fire up there. Um, so actually the getting into the NASA Johnson uh, project was amazing for us because we had that background, but this was actually the first plastic certified part that was gonna be used in space flight. So the interesting part about these parts was it was gonna be an active uh, part. Um, so, uh, so it actually has cold gas uh, thrusting going through channels um, on this part to actually maneuver uh, uh, this free-flying robot in space, uh, with the idea of uh, long-term that you can you can have these kind of robots flying outside the shuttle when you're doing missions to the moon or potentially to to Mars. Um, and one of the main reasons why they wanted to use the technology and they use carbon DLS and they use the uh, the, the CE-221 material because it held up to high temp uh, and also held up to uh, some lower temperatures, but it's a, it's a pretty strong, robust material. Um, but they needed to basically come up with a design for all this, uh, make it and have it launch within one calendar year. Uh, and going with additive, they were able to condense uh, a lot of space in into their, their robot. So um, making smaller parts that could do more uh, allowed them the ability to use additive and then fit more cameras and and things like that into uh, uh, their design. But uh, you know it was really exciting for us because I mean it it came down to you know the the 25th hour where we're working days and nights and weekends trying to get uh, um, uh, the the right sequence of events to to, to make sure that uh, these parts worked and held up and passed all NASA's testing to be able to. Uh, go up in, into space. So it was very exciting for for our company and and for our team that that was working on it. Oh, that would be. Is there any extension of of what you learned there that would uh, have applications here on Earth? Uh, it, it's still one of the things, but most of it's just uh, robots where you're able to use additive to um, uh, to light lighten loads, use less material, cut cut your uh, uh, time to. I'd say mark it down. Um, but one of the things they're still trying to learn about it, but it's still one of those where you can use additive on robotics where a robot is is really driving itself just based off um, what it's reading as far as camera where different items are. So it was, it was really interesting. And I, and I think it's a, a precursor to how additive um, as we move forward in the future with more uh, sensors on vehicles and things like that, where you may have to fit more in condensed spaces, so you're going to have to think about how to make parts uh, differently than what's what's been done in the past. TTH has been in this 
additive manufacturing space for some time now, and you know we have a number of companies who are uh, on the on ramp, as you, if you want to call it that. And so, um, you know, as, as the as we move forward, I mean, what are you seeing as some of the biggest challenges uh, in three D printing from from your perspective? Yeah, the the big one still is uh, I think perceptions or misperceptions of of additive. Um, there's still people that uh, uh, are seeing 3D printed parts off a desktop home printer and thinking there's no way that I can use this if I want to use it in you know industrial settings and it's not going to be as rugged as a, a molded part or a machine part. And then there's others that think, hey, additive can fix everything. Really, ideally, it, it's something in the middle right now. And uh, you know we're still still limited a little bit by uh, size. Um, and, and cost, but there are many instances where you can be making parts in the hundreds or thousands um, at competitive pricing to traditional manufacturing methods or even less when you're taking into account, um, you can make parts on demand, you can make design changes on the fly almost. Um, so, so it's just a matter of how you're gonna look at, at your product uh, long-term. So there's a lot of I think ROI that goes into it, and, and we've had the advantage of having the other technologies to look at, so we can look at what something would look like on injection molding or additive, compare it, and then see is this a one year, or can we make it a bridge and then transition to molding? But I, I think it just allows a lot of options uh, to be on the table when you're when you're creating a, a new products. We conducted uh, some research on um, additive manufacturing with the University of Dayton about five years ago, and uh, even then, it, it seemed like the the wild, wild west when it came to standardization. So, I mean, what has that validation and standardization of parts improved in in the last few years? Yeah, we definitely see it improving. I know uh, ASTM has been working on uh, standardizing everything for a while, and uh, America Makes is. Uh, um, uh, done a great job just in the last couple of years, I think, getting the buy-in from some of these large, multi, you know, national and uh, global companies to to help standardize that across the market um, is going to be huge. Just so, um, you know, there, there's obviously a standard that everybody can, can expect, um, you know, going back, you know, five, 10 years, you could send the same part out to four different companies and, and get a totally different part. Um, with each vendor uh and, th and that's a big thing from us is when you are looking at localized manufacturing where you want different machines in different different areas still making sure there's a standard that everybody builds to um and follows so you know hey if i'm printing it in cleveland it's going to come out the same as if i'm i'm printing it in uh, uh you know japan or mexico or california some of your colleagues in in this field and you were presenting at uh, with with uh, during a webinar at the Center for Operational Excellence and and I had uh, asked this question I'm going to ask it to you uh, again is you know are we any closer to a 3D printed die? I think there's technologies out there. I know there's uh, some hybrid machines that are uh, printing metal and machining, which are uh, really intriguing. We we've looked at things uh, uh, and technologies like that. I still see it today as um, uh, being a supplement to be able to do conformal cooling to reduce tool costs or reduce part costs for high volumes. 
Um, but I think there are opportunities out there um, as far as dyes. I think the, one of the most interesting things out there um, are some of the new technologies that um, may just replace the dye completely. Um, so as some of the new technologies that are coming out, can they get to the production volumes that you don't need tooling and you can make tens of thousands of parts a day? Uh, I think there's some technologies that have been working on that. The, um, you know, Evolve is one that's, that's trying to make injection molded like parts uh, in, in really high volumes. Um, uh, HP, uh, Carbon's there with their new L1 system trying to be able to do that. Um, uh, for those, and then you have companies like Desktop Metal that are, uh, and HP have have metal systems that are that are trying to focus on high volume, high throughput, um, uh, even metal parts uh, printings, not just not just plastic. So um, I think, yeah, there's going to be ways to do the die, but there's also going to be ways to um, cut that lead time out and just go straight to part. Which I think for for many of us in additive, that's that's kind of the ultimate goal is you're, you're printing the actual part at the end of the day. Good point. Dur during an earlier interview, you described your first experience with the stereolithography and, and that's SLA. You'd mentioned it before in this conversation as, as something out of the Back to the Future 2 movie. Um, other than dating yourself, can you describe in more detail what that <laughs> means? Uh, on my interview, I walked in and I saw the uh, uh, SLA machine and you have a UV laser kind of curing a vat of liquid and all of a sudden a part kind of comes after several hours. But it, it, the first thing that popped in my head was Back to the Future 2 when they're in the kitchen and they just walk over to, I, I forget if it almost looked like a microwave, but they just typed in something and the object that they wanted just appeared right there in their kitchen. And uh, I think I've always just had that image in my head. I didn't. I don't. Still don't know exactly when that day is going to be, but uh, I think we're closer to it uh, today than than maybe we were when the movie came out. Um, uh, which you know, I think that's the ultimate goal: is can can you get to the point where where you can uh, individually print or have on demand where you're you're taking you know shipping and everything out, and that's. Uh, you know, pie at the end of the sky, but uh, at least in my head, that's that's kind of where I see um, this could be, you know, 20, 30 years down the road. Well, I certainly hope so. Um, I asked Stephanie Gaffney, the Director of Additive Manufacturing Programs at the Youngstown Business Incubator, the same question. What has been the impact, and I think you've, you've, you've um, commented on this earlier, uh, the impact on additive manufacturing companies and programs in, in Northeast Ohio and raising awareness of the region being a national hub and added to manufacturing. I think it's really brought the, um, the large companies, the small companies. And, and for us working with companies like us, NCDMM, uh, YBI, America Makes, Magnet, uh, Team Neo in, in Northeast Ohio as an additive manufacturing cluster. But it's really tied us together with a lot of the universities, uh, specifically in Ohio. We have a lot of great universities, um, you know, Ohio State, Case, Akron, uh, Kent State, uh, Youngstown State. So there's a lot of resources that we knew of and we've been working, but it, it definitely got us a closer partnership with them where we're actually seeing what are the developments they're working on? How do we fill in some of the gaps? How do we support them or uh, just give them feedback too of, 
of, hey, is this, we're looking at doing something like this. How's, how's this work with a manufacturing company that, that does lots of, lots of different parts every day. So, um, so that's been great. And then just having um, just that local network that everybody's right here that you can lean on. I mean, there's a great, a lot of great companies. Um, you know, you hear a lot of uh, the tech areas of California, uh, you know, and, and Silicon Valley, and you have uh, the Boston area and Austin and, and Texas, but really other than those three locations on the additive scale, um, Northeast Ohio and uh, just Ohio area in general is, is right on par with the types of technology and then just the resources that we have on hand right here. That's fantastic. What's next for the technology house? Uh, next is uh, we're, we're definitely looking to grow and uh, just continue really the education uh, side of things. I, I think that's been the surprising factor for us over the last, um, you know, it's been 20 plus years for ourselves, but specifically more in the last uh, 10 years. Um, you know, how we see things is we're, we're just at the tipping point of what could happen with uh, the change of design and how things manufacture. When I look at it, 3D printing kind of changed 10 years ago, roughly, where it, it kind of got brought out in the public eye. So I look at that. And when I grew up, I didn't have 3D printers and I didn't have CAD software when I was, you know, eight years old. But we have, uh, you know, 10 years ago, there was an eight-year-old that all of a sudden had 3D printers and, and, and CAD systems. So they could start playing and designing things um, uh, at that age. So we're at 10 years later and, and they're going into college right now. So in the next five years, when they're out, my mind just looks at what, what, what's out there that they're going to be developing and thinking and how is their mind different from being constrained or unconstrained to how to make things. Um, so it, I just find it very interesting and I, I just can't wait to, to see what comes. And, and I think the technology else is trying to position ourselves to, to be ready to be able to do that uh, and support um, additive manufacturing at scale and production. And, uh, uh, but being able to support the other technologies because we may not be able to make a, a, a million forks uh, with additive. You, you probably don't want to. So uh, you may want to uh, uh, injection mold them or, or, or cast them. So, uh, but the opportunities and, uh, and ideas are endless right now. So we're just excited for the future. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show, Greg. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was great, uh, great talk, and I love talking about this stuff.